0: The following message was given by Jeremy Hetrick, the senior pastor of Redeeming Grace Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and a guest preacher at Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. Finally, this morning, we do have a a guest preacher with us, uh, Jeremy Hetrick. He and his wife Kate are here with some others from Living Hope uh, Church in Harrisburg. So if, if you all came from... That church, would you just stand up if you can, or so we can all say, hello? <laughs> <laughs> so these folks are, as you probably picked up, as I was praying for them, they are all going to be taking part in a church plant this fall. When are you guys launching, Jeremy? September. Yep, third. Beginning of September. So it's coming up. And for those of you who are with us in this process just nine months ago, you know what that's like. Um, and so we want to be praying for them as a church and wanted to have an opportunity for them to come. It's very important for us as a church to think about the growth and expansion of the gospel, so we want to put before you what God's doing, and in partnership, we love being in partnership with other churches in Sovereign Grace Ministries, and so wanted an opportunity for Jeremy to come and you to see here's, here's a guy who's stepping out in faith with other folks to see a new church started, and I can speak... Um, with great certainty, the Lord has done a lot through our church plant and through the efforts of you guys and and the faith that you have had to do this. And I'm excited to see what the Lord does here. Jeremy is a a wonderful guy, a great friend. Him and I actually had the opportunity, even though he's out in Harrisburg, he worked some locally here. And so we would meet monthly as we were planting, and he was a great support um, through that, but also got to help him as he was processing if this is something that they would, they would see the Lord doing for them. Um, and just knowing his heart, he cares deeply for the gospel. He cares deeply for uh, the church and, and for people. And so I'm so excited, Jeremy, for this, for you guys, and, um, and seeing what the Lord's going to do through you. And so we get to hear from Jeremy this morning, which I'm very excited for. So please welcome with me, if you would, Jeremy, as he comes up to preach. Okay,
1: yeah. Well, thank you. Am I on? Can you hear me? (laughs) Excellent. Wonderful. Um, Thank you, Nick, for that warm welcome. And thank you, Valley Creek Church, for welcoming us here. Um, It's a joy to visit here. We came on the first Sunday when you guys were. We're just launching here. And actually, the previous Sunday, I was with the church planting ho- cohort at Covenant Fellowship when you all stood up on stage, for those of you who were being sent out from Covenant Fellowship. So this is a, this is a wonderful, sweet experience for, for us this morning to be here. Um, so I do bring you greetings from our brothers and sisters at Living Hope Church um, in Middletown, PA, near Harrisburg. And then also, our church's name is Redeeming Grace Church. Um, so we are, as, as Nick mentioned, we will be uh, planting and starting in uh, sup, uh, September 3rd in Mechanicsburg. And we're finally getting to the process of finalizing where we're actually going to meet. Um, and so we will be meeting in a school in Mechanicsburg School District, which uh, appears to be fitting most of our needs. We have a team. This is we're not we're kind of like you guys a little bit. You're, we're not a normal church plant in that sense. We are we're over 100 people. Um, So Living Hope Church is sacrificing and sending out like almost a quarter of the church to start this church plant. Um, So just a little bit of backdrop on that. So Living Hope's on the East Shore, um, just south and east of Harrisburg, and we have like 130-some people coming from the West Shore, Mechanicsburg, Carlisle, even York, like 40-some minutes away and there's been a long-term prayer um, and kind of thought process and dreaming that there would be a church plant over there. And uh, this is years of praying and thinking about this, that this is actually going to happen in September with over 100 people. So you can pray for us. Um, it's exciting. Um, as Bill Patton, as I was talking to him about it when I was visiting at, Cro- uh, at Covenant Fellowship one time, he said, you're forgetting one phrase, it's scary. So <laughs> it is a little scary. Um, but uh, we're also confident that the Lord is uh, has been doing all of the stuff to to lead us to this point. So, um, as Nick mentioned, um, my wife's my wife Kate is here with uh, with me, as well as some of the guys from our advisory team and their wives. And so grateful for you all coming along with us this morning. So, um, if you could uh, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, uh, ch- uh, chapter thirteen. And as you turn there, I did want to say. A huge thank you to you as a church. Um, as Nick mentioned, he and I met monthly um, for a while, and we have also been benefiting so much from Luke and his administrative prowess and blessings when it comes to website design and and even things administrative like with accounting and stuff like that. Like you. You have such a blessing with the the different folks that you have serving here at Valley Creek, and we are just benefiting from the experience that you've all had, that you're a, a year out ahead of us, and you're plowing forward the pathway, and we're kind of just kind of like... You know, if you ever see a boat that's going out to sea, you know, going deep sea fishing, sometimes the big boats go first and the little ones kind of follow along. That's what it kind of feels like for us. Um, so it's really, it's really cool, and we're so grateful for your partnership. That's what it really is. And this is our partnership, not just between these two churches, but this is the partnership that we have across all of Sovereign Grace Churches. Um, and so we're just grateful for all that. So Nick and Luke and all of you, thank you so much for how you're investing with us. Um, So, John chapter thirteen is is a wonderful passage. Um, If you look at it, you see the the title there. It says Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, what would you say if I said, as an application of today's text, that tonight here at Valley Creek Church at six p.m. we will be holding a foot washing ceremony where we will wash one another's bare feet? (laughs) We got takers. Yeah, actually, some of you might get excited, and we had this when I preached this message at Living Hope, we had a number of people in the church that were like woo-hooing or woo! Like, it was pretty demonstrative. Um, but I can almost predict that two things, one of two things would happen if we actually went for it. We're not going to do that, don't worry. But one of two things would happen, some of you wouldn't even come tonight. Number two, um, most of us would probably clean our feet to the uttermost before actually coming tonight, because you know, and my, my girl's made fun of me with this because some of us have very sweaty feet and all that kind of stuff. So, but the point of this text, is it really that we have this great need to have clean feet? Or is there a greater need that we have, that John records for us this, this account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? Well, let's read the text that God has for us this morning and find out. So if you could, I just love it uh, as a corporate gathering as we read the scriptures that we stand to honor God's word. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who was bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? If you do them. You may go ahead and take your seats as I turn to pray. Father, be our guide today. Lead us by your spirit. Open our eyes afresh to this text that we may be very familiar with. But I pray that you would exalt Jesus Christ and his work on the cross in our hearts as we walk through this text, these words are your words. Lord, may they have their intended effect on our hearts this morning. Would we walk away freshly amazed by our Savior? And Lord, may the words of my my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning... As we unpack this text about foot washing, we have three points that we're going to cover. Point number one is this, the determined Savior. Look with me at verses one through three. Now, in the Gospel of John, Jesus has demonstrated who he is as the divine Son of God through signs and through teaching. At the close of the chapter, we see that Jesus repeats what he has said countless times. There are only two possible ways to respond to him. Either a person believes in him or they do not. They either receive him or they do not. Believing in Jesus is the whole reason that John has written this gospel. He summarizes this point in John 20, verse 31. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So then John continues here in chapter 13, and he changes with this narrative change, signaling a change of scene or setting. John is making it clear that we are entering into a new phase of his his gospel. And that phase is the farewell discourse. Leon Morris tells us why in his commentary. He says, the public ministry of Jesus is over. John tells us nothing more of any words spoken by Jesus to the crowds. There are a few words to those who arrested him. There are a few to those who examined him. But apart from these, the whole of the rest of the gospel concerns Jesus' Jesus' final teaching to his own disciples and the events surrounding the passion. So this section is called the Farewell Discourse. It's an intentional time that Jesus spends with and teaches, is teaching his disciples, and by inference, us. So what do we find here in verses 1 through 3? We find the determined Savior. Just a few things to note under this is is just the context here that that John's recording for us. He says, it's now before the feast of the Passover in verse 1. And in verse 2, it says, during supper. So we're not quite at the Passover, but it's coming soon. It seems that this is the last supper that Jesus is celebrating with his disciples. And that means it's the evening of the cross, the eve of the cross. See, it says here, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, it's signaling Jesus knows The hour's at hand. He knows where he's going. He's not ignorant of this. This is all according to the plan of the Father that the Son is carrying out faithfully. And what does it say here? It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See that determination? Even in John's recording of this, he loved them to the end. In his love, he's not abandoned them to this point. He will fulfill his loving mission to them by going to the cross for them and for anyone who would trust in him for their salvation. He is securing their salvation, not just in the present, for, for the, but for the future as well. So even in verse one, Valley Creek Church, see your determined savior who loves you to the end. Do you ever wonder do you ever wonder if you will be steadfast to the end? Do you ever wonder will Jesus be faithful to me, faithful to, me to the end? Jesus through John's recording is communicating to us he is faithful to the end. Yes. We sing that song he will hold me fast. It's not just a song. It's a truth. It's a truth that we cherish, that we relish, in, that we enjoy because our Savior, not because of our steadfastness, it's because of our Savior's steadfastness and determination that we will make it to the end. We'll come back to this a little bit later on, but another thing to note here as John records the context of during supper, he records this, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas. To betray him. Now, this is covered more in detail in the next section about Judas' betrayal of Jesus and Jesus kind of basically portraying or portraying and and prophesying about it. But what John notes here for us is this one point that we should take away from this the devil is lurking behind the scenes here. The devil is, he's an active presence in the world. Now, oftentimes the New Testament doesn't speak a lot about the devil's presence, but here's a note that we should have thinking about his role. He was leading Judas to betray Jesus. Leading Judas, he put it in his heart to betray Jesus. Now, after that statement of saying that, what do you think John would write next? I think, if it was me, I would think, well, knowing that the devil was going to do this, he just rises from the supper. He kind of ignores it and sets it to the side. That's not what we see here. Leon Morris says, here's what we have. We have an unexpected twist. Instead of something like knowing what uh, Judas would do, we have knew that the Father had put all things under his power. The threshold of Calvary seems like an unlikely place for a statement of sovereignty like this. The reference to the Father is important. He's no idle spectator, but he does his will here. He is not an idle spectator of the Passover, or of the passion, but he does the will here. It is this contrasting, or if you will, if you think about it in a juxtaposition way, two things that are seen close together that have this wonderful contrasting effect. Here's the devil, but here's the Father overseeing all things. This is all according to his plan, and Jesus knows that. And John is communicating that for us. Jesus knows, hey, devil, yes, but my Father's in control. In fact, he's given everything into my hands. Jesus is determined. Yes, the devil's at work, but this is all according to the sovereign will of God for the salvation of sinners. He is assuming his death on the cross, his resurrection, and his ascension is all a part of this plan. He knows it. He will fulfill it. So Valley Creek Church, know this, even when evil is lurking, Jesus is accomplishing His mission, not just in going to the cross, but His mission in your church, in your families. He is in control. So see your determined Savior. And there is something for us to take a a note as we step back from this text a bit. It's like, don't be ignorant that there isn't an enemy. He is there. But we're instructed in Scripture not to be distracted by him. That's what he wants. He wants us to be distracted. That's his design. So we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, 6-9, we're to resist him. We're to be firm in our faith. We're to submit to God, orienting ourselves to God and his plan. Yeah, we may go through various trials, but God's doing all things for our good. And here's the promise that we see. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Valley Creek Church, see your determined Savior and let this just cause you to trust him all the more. He will not fail you. He will not fail us. So earlier, as I said, Jesus is starting this farewell discourse. Right? So what do you think he's actually going to start speaking and teaching the disciples about? Well, you already know this is all about the foot washing, right? So... Point number two for us this morning is his washing power. And that's verses 4 through 11. Here we see a very vivid, detailed account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. If you will, it's like we're in a movie theater and, and, and somebody puts the movie in slow motion. That's really the effect of this. There's not often times that we see so much detail recorded for us about an account like this. John is very vivid in depicting this. Why? Because here we have the sovereign Son of God stepping into the lowliest of service to communicate something to his disciples, to communicate something to us. Colin Cruz, in his commentary, says, Jesus' action was unprecedented. A wife might wash her husband's feet, children now, children, you should do this later on today. Children might wash their father's feet and disciples might wash their master's feet, but in every case, it would be an act of extreme devotion. Note that. Extreme devotion. But going from lesser to greater, subordinate to, to, to master. But here it says, foot washing was normally carried out by a servant, not by those participating in the meal, and certainly not by the one presiding at the meal, which Jesus was presiding Over this meal. Here is the master presiding over the meal. He's already shown that he he is the Son of God Himself. Why would he do this? Why an act of service that is dirty? It's disgusting. Listen to what James Hamilton said about this service. This was a world where air conditioning had not been invented. Roads were not paved with concrete or asphalt, and shoes were not closed-toed shoes. These were the smelly, dirty, grimy feet of men who walked everywhere they went on roads covered in dust, and listen to this, animal waste. Ew. Like, here is the Savior doing something akin to washing dog poop off of someone's feet. We have a neighbor who has a big dog that goes in the backyard right behind our house and we played a game yesterday and we had a get together with some of the folks from the church plant and I was cautious that we didn't want to go very far over into that yard because it's got a lot of stuff in the backyard. Um, but here, you know, Jesus is, is stooping to that level of I'm washing off the dirtiest stuff from your feet. None of the disciples seem to like Say anything except Simon Peter. Now, if you know much about Simon Peter in the Gospels, you get to see he's he's one of us. He says what everybody's thinking, but nobody else had the confidence to say it. Right? Do you wash me, Lord? Now he got that right, the Lord part. But his questioning of Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus tells Peter that he doesn't understand yet. But afterwards, he will. Well, we know it's his understanding will come after the cross. But Peter here is refusing the Savior, washing his feet. You shall never wash my feet. Could you imagine saying that to Jesus if he was just like standing in front of you? Like, he's bold, he speaks his mind, and Jesus makes it clear to him. He has to. But think, Peter, this is not just the, you shall never wash my feet. It's almost like the Buzz Lightyear, you know, to infinity and beyond. Like, eternity, never. Even in eternity, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. But Jesus' response stops him in his tracks. If I do not wash you, Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me, no part with me. Of course, Peter does an about-face and goes to the other extreme. Well, if that's the case, wash my hands, my head, everything. Just wash all of me. And Jesus, I I can only imagine Jesus just standing there shaking his head. Like, dude, could you just slow down a little bit? Um, And he basically just says, you, you, you only need your feet washed. Right? So that might make us think. well, what, what do you mean? Shouldn't we have all of our being washed? Well, no. Actually, Jesus is making the point that those who are coming to a feast, they've already bathed. The only thing that's really dirty is their feet. So it's a practical thing that he's walking out here. But in, in saying this, though, he draws their attention to the fact, now you're clean. And he's not just saying clean physically. He is saying, I'm washing you with my washing power to make you spiritually clean. Colin Cruz says, the meaning of Jesus' response, therefore, it must be sought at a deeper level. Jesus' self-humiliation in washing his disciples' feet symbolized his self-humiliation in accepting death upon the cross to bring about their cleansing from sin. In this respect, Peter and the rest of the disciples must accept what Jesus did for them, for if they did not, clearly they would have no part with him. Jesus was saying to Peter that unless he was prepared to accept what he would do for him on the cross, there could be no relationship with him. Valley Creek Church friends, I know you hear this gospel preached in week in, week out, but this is one of the clearest and most distinct examples of Jesus saying, unless you humble yourself like a child and admit that you are a sinner and you need a Savior. You need this kind of cleansing. There will be no part for you in the kingdom and in eternity. This is what trips up so many people today. A.M. Hunter says many people today would like to be Christians, but they see no need for the cross. They cannot bring themselves to believe that Christ died for their sins and that without that death they would be lost in sin. Friend, I hope that does not represent you this morning. But if it does, cry out to God for mercy that he would help you see your sin, that he would help you see your need because Jesus came to save, to seek and save the lost, to save sinners. Those who think they are well, needing no physician, Jesus said, only those who are sick. We are all sick. Paul says in Romans 3, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a savior. And apart from Jesus washing us, we are doomed to judgment and eternity under God's wrath in hell. God provided Jesus here, just in this example, to give us a picture of our need and Jesus fulfilling that need by going to the cross, pouring out his blood, that blood that purges sin, that pays the penalty for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Yes future all of it taken care of by Jesus so we hear and we read in Isaiah 1 listen to God's word through the prophet Isaiah come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall become like wool Friend, have you cried out to Jesus for this kind of cleansing? Have you washed, have you been washed of your sins and made whole by Jesus? See, he comes to us with this washing power that is unlike any power this world ever has known. He washes wonderfully and pure, purely, cleansing Everything that we are. I remember when I was saved in college. I didn't become a Christian until I was almost in my junior year of college. And the Lord used a song to help me express this desire to be whole, to be cleansed. It goes like this, and maybe some of you know this. It's from an older song called Whiter Than Snow. The verse says this, Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want you forever to live in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You too can cry out to Jesus this morning and be washed white as snow by his work on the cross. He will answer you if you cry out to him. For those of us who have received his washing power, this is a great moment for us to stop and think a little bit about what does this mean for us today? Not just maybe 25 years ago or 5 years ago whenever it is you became a Christian and you received his washing. Think about this question. Why did he do this for you and me? <laughs> we we were dead in our sins. We were rebellious. Scriptures say that we were enemies of God. And Jesus, determined as he is as a Savior, came, rescued us, washed us. Why? For his glory and for our good. The wonderful thing is we don't just think 20 years ago that we were washed we actually get a wonderful experience of, of receiving this and being reminded of this washing that we had a long time ago or maybe just last week or whenever we became a Christian. We can actually have this practically outworking in our lives on a daily basis. In fact, John, that's what John talks about in 1 John chapter 1. He says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. And we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But listen to this promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We actually did this this morning during the service, having that time of quiet reflection and confession. This is where we're not having Jesus crucified all over again. We're not getting saved all over again. This is part of our persevering in the faith of remembering what Jesus has done for us and being freshly made aware we're whole, we're clean. Not because we are good in ourselves, but because Jesus has washed us. This is experiencing as a Christian on a continual basis what it means to see this is our Savior who washes us clean. And we get to walk in this newness of life now. It's a wonderful promise that we have. And we get to do this not just on Sundays, but in your community groups or in your fellowship groups. You you actually get to remind one another in group, hey, when you're talking about an area where you're struggling, someone else pipes up, hey, remember, brother, remember, sister, Jesus paid it for us. Our sins are forgiven. We are clean. We are whole. We do not have to go underneath the chair or under the carpet because we are just unworthy. No, no. We get to stand up as children of God. We have been washed. We are redeemed. We are the ones who say, God, you're my father. I will never lose you because of what Jesus has given to me. We are completely washed and free and accepted in the beloved. Friends, do not ever forget that. Do not ever forget that. We do not move on from this. We move into a deeper understanding of this. Don't forget this. William Wilberforce, Remember hearing of of this politician in Great Britain who helped end the slave trade. He was so concerned about in his culture, in the churches, what did they do? They left this knowledge and they just got into niceties, morality. They missed the power of the gospel to change their lives, to produce godliness in their lives. He, He was not a theologian, but he wrote a wonderful book talking about his concern about the church in Great Britain. Basically saying, you, you, you got it wrong. Do not leave the gospel. Do not leave this justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, for God's glory alone. This is the power, is what we stand on, and that changes everything. So Valley Creek Church, I know that this is Nick in their leadership's conv- convictions, but don't leave this in your daily lives. Do not leave this in your daily lives. Because Jesus has a washing power unlike any other. and He is glorious. Let's move on to point number three. Our discipleship calling. Verses 12 to 17, Jesus now looks to his disciples and say, hey, I want you to connect what I just did with what you are now to do. Jesus is giving them a picture of what discipleship goes. It looks like going forward for them. We see John describing Jesus just finishing the washing of their feet. He's putting on his outer garment and returning to his place. And now he turns to them and says, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. I love this because Jesus is <laughs> he's highlighting the significance of who he is in, in saying Lord and teacher. But in the midst of all this, he's also remembering in the middle of that you have teacher and Lord, and then he reverses it, Lord and teacher. In there, he says, you are right, for so I am. If you know anything about the Gospel of John, There's so many I am statements where Jesus is basically, I I am who I am from Exodus. I am the sovereign God. I'm not just a teacher and Lord. I am. And if I've done this for you, if the I am has done this for you, you should go and do likewise. James Hamilton Jr. says the argument is simple. If Jesus is not too important to serve them, then they are not too important to serve one another. There's a clear connection here, and this is a connection for them to follow him in what he's calling them to in discipleship. He calls us to this as well, not just these disciples, but us as well, who have been washed clean by his blood. Now, we're not called to perfect discipleship as if we could be perfect but we are called to an ever-growing way of expressing this grace to one another. So Richard D. Phillips says, having used the foot washing as a paradigm for his own atoning death, Jesus also employs it as a model for our sacrificial service in his name. Now, just to clarify here, as I said earlier, he's not establishing this as a ritual. Rather, his intent was to set forth a lifestyle that emulates the example he set by his humble act of service. So this discipleship calling is what he's putting forward for the disciples and for us. And note this, the world is watching Christians. They're watching the community that we have among us. It's one of the things that we're talking about at Redeeming Grace Church in our, our pre-launch meetings. This is it's so important that we remember the witness that our church has to the dying world because they're looking for a true community. They're not finding it other places. Bruce Milne says, In a world desperately searching for the secret of community, this passage speaks most powerfully. This passage points to a witness that they're looking for. This is the witness that we only have, not the rest of the world. He says, It is those who have been humbled at the cross and come to Christ as helpless sinners seeking his cleansing who are the raw material of community of humble servants. The cross is both the way of salvation and the key key to community. So think about it for you here at Valley Creek Church. I am sure, I know even from knowing some of you, I know some people from eons ago like Brian Herr and Sarah Herr, which is crazy to think about their daughter is possibly going on the church plant with us as well. Um, I remember when she was like, well, actually I remember when she was born. Um, It's crazy. So I know you have, you all are wonderful servants, but... Be aware of your discipleship call. This is important to get. It is important for us to be aware of needs going on in the body. It's important for us to try to meet those needs. It's important for us because this is the grace of God working itself out in our lives. And when people come in who do not know Christ, when they see the grace of God in your midst, when they see how you love one another, That's something they have never seen in the world before. That's the aroma of Christ, if you will, among your body. So take your discipleship calling seriously. Do not replace your justification by it, but make it to be an effect of your justification, right? Jesus washed you, and he says to the disciples, he says to you, now do the same thing. Serve your brothers and sisters, you know, the season of being a new church is a unique time where you get to really establish this more and more in your midst. It's stretching, I know, even as we're doing the pre-launch stuff, and I can know we can talk about it as, as a team, is, it's stretching. And like Bill Patton said, it's scary, but it's for the right reasons. What, <laughs> what else can you invest your life in that's going to last for eternity? It's amazing. But when you step out in faith, remember, God may just surprise you as you serve, maybe in ways you've never served before. He may just show you, hey, I'm giving you grace for this. It may be even leading a ministry you've never led before. It may be serving in children's ministry. Sometimes that can be scary. I know for guys, it's like, what do I do? I have no clue. Actually, our senior pastor, lead pastor Ben Krebs, actually went and served in children's ministry the other Sunday when I was when I preached, and uh, he's like, my job is to hand out animal crackers. (laughs) And he did his job really well from what I heard. Um, But whatever it is that God's calling you to do, remember, this is part of your discipleship calling because Jesus washed you, and he's calling you to follow in serving your brothers and sisters, serving those who come who do not know Christ yet. This is all of our calling. It's not just on the leadership side as well. Now, I just want to move more towards a conclusion here, um, because remember I mentioned we'll come back to the first point a little later. That's why I really feel like God wants to just end our time here during this message. We started out looking at the determined Savior. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, it says... He loved his disciples to the end. He will love us to the end. I just want to end by reading a few passages from Scripture that emphasize this even more. In Hebrews 7.25, the writer of Hebrews says this, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to, intercede, to make intercession for them. Do you know that Jesus is praying for us right now? He never stops. From the day he ascended to the day that we'll see him again, he will never stop. He always lives to intercede for us. That is loving us to the end. Not only that, I love it when when the writer from Jude, he writes this as he's entrusting his readers to God. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. He says he will present us blameless before himself, before his presence of his glory. And don't miss this phrase, with great joy. With great joy, the one who went to the cross is going to love it. He's going to be overjoyed as he gets all of us before his presence, blameless. Great joy. Do not let that be lost on you this morning. Our determined Savior has washed us. He will keep us. Even as we follow him, not perfectly, imperfectly at times, but we keep growing and keep pressing into him. He will be faithful to us. He is faithful and he will surely do it to the end. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the amazing privilege it is to sit under it, to hear your words even wash over us and to be reminded of the washing power of our Savior's blood. Thank you that in him we stand before you completely righteous by faith. (laughs) That we are washed whiter than snow. Lord, help us to remember, help us to apply this, and help us to be faithful stewards of the grace that you've given to us in Christ. Lord, I pray for Valley Creek Church, Lord, that you would continue to bless them, that they would grow together as a body, as a family, that they would know each other well enough to know how they can care for each other, that you would make needs known, that you would provide for needs, and that, that there would be people in this community who would watch on, and they'd be watching this community forming and forming and forming, and they're realizing, wow, this is, there's something different about this community. And it would be all about your spirit's work in their midst. So Lord, bless their evangelism in this community. Bless them, Lord. Help them to be a beacon in an even greater way, a beacon of light of the gospel. And I pray that you would draw so many more people to yourself through their corporate witness. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to a message by Jeremy Hetrick given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.